am I meditating the right way? I feel like this is the one deterring factor for people when they first start meditating and they're like, I'm just not doing this right. I can't get into meditation. And I really want to address this. You have to view this as an exercise. So imagine you want to start building muscle. You cannot go to the gym one day for 30 minutes, lift some weights and be like, ooh, I got muscles. It does not work that way. Hello, beautiful souls. It is no accident that you are here. You are not alone and you don't have to be. Lessons and Soul Fashions is a place where we crack ourselves wide open with stories and lessons that leave you feeling empowered and liberated. This is a space of acceptance and redemption. We open up about our most vulnerable experiences and how our past has become our soul lesson. Because when we speak our truth, we give others permission to do the same. We are your hosts, Ayana and Maya, and we hope our truths ignite the light that is already within you. Today's conversation is all about meditation. So before we started recording today, I had shared with Ayana, I'm a little in my head and I'm kind of in a space of fear. And the fear is around sharing this message around what meditation is, the importance of meditation, and the experience and the benefits that we're receiving from meditation. And the reason why I'm experiencing this fear in my head is because this practice is so deep to my heart into my soul, that I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to convey the depth of this ancient practice in a way that it deserves to be shared. And for me, meditation is beyond a calming practice. It is beyond I'm burnt out, so let me just do a meditation, or I have anxiety, so let me just try to relax. Meditation for me is when I'm in sacred union with the divine. This is when I am communing with God, and it is such a deep, heartfelt, full body experience for me that I want to make sure that today's conversation is giving homage to this ancient tradition. So I am really excited to share today's conversation because we're going to be getting into the history, the benefits. We're going to be sharing recommendations of how to prepare for meditation. And then at the end, we have 18 different meditations that we're really excited to share with you. So before we get started, 
I know that meditation is a huge part of your practice, Ayana. So I would love to know why has this become such a huge part of your practice? It's interesting because when I first decided to meditate, it was really about trying to hack my life to be better. I always loved reading blogs and you would read how meditating could improve your memory, could improve basically any aspect of your life, which truly I genuinely believe is the case. But I was doing it for the results more so than for the practice. And it wasn't until I started practicing that that flipped over and I was doing it for the practice rather than just for the results. So when I initially started with meditating, I would do guided meditations. I would do one or two minute meditations. And I found it so very difficult because I thought I had to turn off my thoughts. I thought I had to turn off my brain and that that was the only way for someone to meditate the right way and get those life hacking results. And what happened for me over time is that the thoughts didn't disappear. Sure, maybe they were less loud and less invasive, but I became an observer of those thoughts and that I was realizing that all of those thoughts that were flowing were not who I was. And this is where meditation became no longer a practice, but a way of life. And it's an approach that I have in everything that I do. At least I try to be mindful in everything that I do and have that approach of observing my actions, feelings, emotions, and thoughts without judgment. And that's why it's moved into being something that I do to hack my life into actually being my life. I am always meditating. I'm always in a state of meditation. And so there's almost no longer a why because it just is who I am at this point. The last thing that you shared was that you're always in a state of meditation. And I think this is so beautiful because there is the saying before enlightenment, you're chopping wood and fetching water. And after enlightenment, you're chopping wood and fetching water. (laughs) So you can choose to do the everyday things that you already had to do prior to your awareness. And now you can do it with intention. You're doing it mindfully. You're breathing through it. You're aware of your body's relaxation, where you may or may not be tensing your body. You're in a space of more equanimity as you approach everyday normal situations of your life. And if you can view your life as a walking awake meditation, you feel a constant state of contentment. And that is so beautiful. And the next thing you said was when you're first starting, you're thinking, am I meditating the right way? And I find that to be so interesting because I feel like this is the one deterring factor for people when they first start meditating 
And they're like, I'm just not doing this right. I can't get into meditation. And I really want to address this because meditation impacts your brain on a physical level. It impacts the whole mind, body, soul, and spirit. But if we're talking about just the mass, it is you exercising the brain and it is in the brain that is then sending information to the rest of your body, your consciousness and your subconscious. So you have to view this as an exercise. So imagine you want to start building muscle. You cannot go to the gym one day for 30 minutes, lift some weights and be like, ooh, I got muscles. It does not work that way. And so the meditation is the exercising of the brain. So there are studies where scientists compare the shape of a brain from before meditation and years, like the specific study that I was reading, it was five years after, and the brain five years after meditation. And the structure of the brain fully shifts. It takes on a completely different form. And so that is physically exercising your brain. So I really want to share this because I would love to invite everybody to get out of the judgment of what it means to meditate in the right way and simply just show up. This is such an important point because I feel as a success, goal, achievement-driven society, we don't give ourselves enough grace through the learning period. We're just, oh, I've never ridden a bike before, but I better be damn good the first time I hop on. There's like no excitement for the journey. It's just all about this end goal. It's like, I'm ready to meditate and I'm just going to be a meditator that I can be in complete stillness and everything's going to be great. And then my whole world is going to be healed and changed. But it does not work that way. You have been spending the last decades overstimulated on sugar and social media. So it's going to take you a while to reverse some of these habits in order to get yourself into a state of actual meditation. It is a lot of work. So for me, I've been meditating for over five years. And to this day, I regress and then I progress. And that is a natural ebb and flow of being human. So I went on a little side tangent, but the intention <laughs> the intention of sharing all this is because I want to get into what the ancient yogis recommend you do as a preface before you can even get to a space of meditation. So there is the eight limb path, which Patanjali wrote about in the Yoga Sutras. I don't know how old his actual book is, but it's derived from the Vedic science of yoga and Ayurveda, which in terms of written records have been connected to over 4,000 years ago as of today that we have proof of. And so with the eight limb path, 
there are six stages before you can even get to meditation that you have to do. And so the first one is yamas. Yamas is 10 commandments, pretty much your moral compass. So there are five branches underneath the yamas, and one of them includes ahimsa, which is nonviolence. It's like non-stealing, kindness. And then number two is niyamas. And this is more of an introspective space of the Ten Commandments. And there's five under this branch. So this includes self-study, radical responsibility, cleanliness. And then number three is asana, which everybody knows about. Asana is what you are experiencing in your yoga class. So asana means pose. And the most ancient pose is the meditation pose, which you see people sitting in lotus or they're seated with their palms on top of their thighs. And asana is really important because we are so much in the mass. This is a space where we are moving. We're moving stuck energy in order to open ourselves up, open our senses up to settle energy. So the fourth is pranayam, which is breath work. So a lot of people know about box breathing, which is where you inhale for a certain count, you hold for the same count, exhale for a certain count, and then you hold. And then you go through that cycle of box breathing. There's alternating nostril breathing. There's the breath of fire. And so pranayam, prana is life force. And the intention of this is we are intentionally inviting life in and out of our body into our cells. So once we have moved from asana into pranayama, our body is more open. We're now getting life into areas of our body that we weren't able to access because it was stuck. And number five is pratyahara. And this is the withdrawal of your senses. So your senses are sight, smell, hear, taste. And a lot of people can access this state unconsciously. So have you ever been at work and you're so in the zone that people are talking to you and things are happening and you have no idea and then time totally passes and you're like, wait, what just happened? So that's Pratyahara in an unconscious way. When people are trying to do this consciously, it is really hard to turn off the external world, to turn off your sense of taste and smell, and even in your own body, your sense of touch. Especially when you're new to meditation, one of the things that a lot of people experience are a lot of tingly sensations. They feel vibrations. They feel a strong rush of energy. So that's still a sense of touch. And we want to get into a space where we can turn off our senses. So now that is the first five steps of preparing you for meditation. And so number six is the last step before you can even get into meditation. And that is concentration. 
So I want to spend a little bit time here because back to addressing why I got to this history to this point is when people say, I don't know how to meditate or I'm not meditating in the right way. You have to first practice concentration. As a society, our inability to hold our attention for more than 20 seconds is a trek. It's like a journey. It's something that's really hard to do. When I do speeches or presentations, a lot of people will say 20 minutes is the max. More than that, then people will lose their attention and then they're not going to absorb anything anymore. And so there's a lot of studies on the lack of concentration that people have. And it is so important as a foundation of meditation that we have this down. And so that's dharana. That's the name of the sixth stage. And we'll go into some examples and meditations when we share all of the practices of different types of meditation that actually fall under this umbrella of concentration. So then the eighth step is now we're actually getting into meditation, and that's dhyana. So meditation, I would consider this like a perfect contemplation. So this is the space where you are in a space of reflection, but also non-attachment. When you're in a space of observing, you're out of your body, but you're still so aware of your body. So it's this very dual space. And I also feel like the difference between this and dharana, the space of concentration, is that meditation is a space of concentration with the intention of finding truth of knowing truth and feeling truth. And if you've ever gotten to that space of meditation, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's this moment of such peace within you that you just feel this connection to nothingness, but everything at the same time, which then leads to number eight, which is samadhi. So a lot of people will call this nirvana. I like to call this the space in which I'm communing with God. So it's the union with the divine. Once you perfect meditation, you organically get to the space. And this is a space where you start tapping into limitless creativity. It is beyond consciousness. It's a space of no time and space where you tap into universal wisdom and then you feel like you're one with everybody. So I felt like it was so important to share these steps so that people can give themselves more grace when they're first starting this path of knowing there are so many steps that the ancient yogis and sages recommend that you take before you can even get to meditation. It really is an exercise. It really is a practice. I think that it's so typical of our society to think that the moment they try a meditation, they need to be good at it. Look at the extensiveness, the depth in those eight limbs that you just described, six of which are just to prepare you for meditation. Only the seventh step is actually getting into the meditation itself. And yet we think we can turn on our phone 
and get on headspace and know how to meditate perfectly in those first five minutes. And then we quit because it didn't work out and it's just not our thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I resonate with it because I am that too. Right. I'm also <laughs> the person who thinks that she needs to be good at something the first time she tries it. And it's a hurdle to overcome than deciding to get up and trying it again. And so there are so many potent messages that I received from you going through those eight limbs. I was honestly in a state of meditation (laughs) just in that. (laughs) Just processing each of the steps and feeling so deeply in my knowing the importance of all of them. And that it is such a beautiful journey. And I think that's really what I want to bring in here. Don't be discouraged by the fact that there are eight steps or that you don't get it right the first time. Because the beauty of meditation is in the entire journey. Every step is beautiful and fulfilling. And if you're not so focused on the end goal, you have the opportunity to be in such a state of peace and gratitude for each and every one of them. And that's the point of the ancients. Their goal wasn't to get to the eighth step. Their purpose was to be in each one of those steps. And that's just exactly where they were. And so I really wanted to remind us all of the beauty of the journey. What I love about the essence of your message of experiencing the journey, being in the journey, loving the journey, is traditionally when you are learning from your master or a sage, they are not doing what we're doing, which this conversation is about the mind. We are intellectualizing meditation. A sage will give you a task to do for three years. Do the same one for three years until you discover the intelligence behind it through the practice. And so that within itself is the journey to get out of the mind and simply experience, but continue to do it every day with reverence and intention. So you brought something in here, (laughs) which was about the purpose of meditation being no mind. I would actually love for you to get into that. So this is a very interesting perspective because when I was first teaching meditation to others, there was a lot of fear around, well, if I'm in a space of no mind, isn't this when the devil has access to my spiritual body? And this can be true, but this isn't to scare anybody in the space of no mind. There's a difference between being in a space of no mind and a space of mindlessness. And so the space of mindlessness, where dark energies can enter your field, these are the times when you are numbing out, zoning out, you have a thought in your mind and you're brushing it under the rug and you're suppressing it. So it's a very unconscious thing. It's not wanting to face it. So I think a perfect example of this is 
think of nightclubs or bars. So a lot of people are drinking. They're completely in a space of unconsciousness. But when you're in there, you can feel the heaviness, the darkness, all of these energies that are shadow filled, that are filling this space. So the dark energies latch on to those who are in a space of mindlessness because they're open in their space to fill and they want a body to host, which then is completely different from a space of no mind because no mind is intentional. You are fully aware and fully awake when you are in this space. So no mind is going beyond the mind into nothingness. It is going beyond your consciousness. There's no attachment. You are aware that you are not the body and you're not the mind. In a space of no mind, you are aware that you simply just are. You are a part of the existence of the universe, but you are not of the universe. You're just beyond this material realm. And so when you access the space of no mind, you'll see that time and space doesn't exist, that there is limitless possibilities, that you start tapping into creativity you start coming up with innovative ideas that don't exist already. So how is this connected to meditation? Meditating is the tool. It's the portal to getting you into the space of no mind where you can access everything that I just mentioned, that unlimited flow of life force energy and connection with Cosmic wisdom, ancient wisdom, universal wisdom. This is really the key. And you were able to articulate it so beautifully. The point of our meditation isn't so that we are good at meditating or that we are able to meditate for hours. It's really about this state of no mind. Understanding that. All of the experiences, feelings, and thoughts that are passing through you, you do not need to identify with because they are not what defines you. You are whatever it is that is capable of observing all of those things at the same time while also being. We are the universe. We are not in the universe. We are the universe. And so when you realize that you are everything, a part of everything, inside of everything, watching everything, that's when you can observe this experience that you have selected to have exactly as that, an experience and an opportunity to learn lessons, but not anything that you need identify with because you are so much more. You are the space in between that holds it all. Our sponsor, Yip.com, is a platform that helps entrepreneurs and creators reach people wherever and whenever. They encourage people to start a business, 
grow as an individual, and achieve their full potential in a fun way. Their mission is to inspire people to do what they love. Yip.com gives entrepreneurs the opportunity to take their traditional brick-and-mortar business online. Are you a life coach, a fitness instructor, or maybe a therapist that's tired of having to chase clients for payments? Do you want to grow your business across borders without the high costs of opening a physical location? Then Yip is the platform for you. Yip offers online video solutions, seamless payments, direct messaging to clients, an online marketplace, and automatic invoicing all in one. It allows you to really focus on your customers and for your customers to connect with you in a way they've never been able to before. As two entrepreneurs who love what we do, we feel so supported by the platform Yip.com has created and couldn't help but share this with you as our listener. Check them out and sign up today by visiting yip.com. That's yip.com. What I'm taking away from what you just shared is that you can access anything at any time and that this is a space for you to learn. So I have to share the story about Thomas Edison. And he is one of the most prolific inventors. He invented hundreds and hundreds of things. One of the things that he invented was the light bulb. He really invented revolutionary things, especially during his time. And I want to know how he accessed all of these inventions. It was meditation. So what he would do, if you see pictures or statues of Edison, you'll always see him with balls in his hands or pictures of him sleeping with balls. And what he would do is sit in a chair holding two balls with a bucket of water underneath his hands. And he would get into a space of meditation to specifically access his theta state. Theta is almost like your dream state. It's like an unconscious conscious state. You're still aware, but you're tapping into universal wisdom. And so he would get into the state. And the intention of holding the balls is that when he would fall asleep from being in the state, then the balls would drop. And that is what would wake him up. So this was keeping him in the state of meditation. And I have wanted to share this because when you're in meditation, you are accessing unworldly information. But then when you come back, like the difference between him and most people is that then he takes it into action. That is why he's become one of the most prolific inventors. I love this story. And I had no idea (laughs) about the balls and the water and honestly, the first thing I'm thinking is, I want to try that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it makes so much sense. It's really almost bringing yourself into this state of lucid dreaming and experiencing. And I really love that then he takes it into the reality. And what that proves is that Our reality and our dreams really aren't that far apart. The only difference is that the action that we do or don't take. And so when you start remembering the fact 
that every single thing that you have in front of you right now, your phone, whether it be your laptop, whether it be, I'm looking at a lamp right now, all of it was once someone's dream. An iPhone didn't exist, what, 20, 30 years ago? This MacBook didn't exist even less than that. Oh my God. I remember back in the day, those cell phones, they were like the size of a suitcase. It's actually really funny. I can't believe people carry that. (laughs) Exactly. My mom actually still kept one of those and showed me when I was younger. And I was like, how could you take that around? You need an entire purse (laughs) just for this gigantic phone. So remember that our reality is a living dream. So you get to action those dreams. And by meditating, you get to have access to those dreams and decide which ones you want to bring into your reality. And that is why you are the universe, because that's exactly what the universe is. Bringing dreams into reality. Mm, Yes, your reality is your dream. I love this quote so much. So we have talked a lot about what comes through. So I would love to learn what are some of the benefits that you have personally gained from meditating? It's almost difficult to narrow it down. (laughs) Because if I'm thinking, what are the benefits that I received from meditation? Everything. I've received my entire life. And the reason that I say that is because through meditation, I have become so present in the everyday. I've become so appreciative because I'm present enough to see how beautiful my life is and how much I have to be grateful for. I've become a co-creator rather than just a participant. Really connecting in my meditations with my guides, with the messages that are coming through And asking what is it that I am meant to create right now and then selecting which ones resonate for me to really get started on and really it's become this journey where I am no longer alone. Where before I thought I was, now I know I was never alone. And speaking of the word alone, that actually just means all one. All is one. Being alone is actually impossible. None of us are alone. So it's a misinterpretation of the actual meaning of all is one. And that's what I received from meditation. Knowing that I am one with everything and that I get to dream and then create reality. That I am an entire universe living inside and I get to observe every single part of it. And life has just become so much more fun because of it, because now I'm actively selecting the life that I want to live. And my reality is literally just a reflection of the changes that have been happening inside of me. I know that I'm co-created. I know that I am a part of everything that I see. And I know that when I don't like what I see, there's something that I need to tap into inside of me to make that shift which makes me feel really empowered and capable and confident and able to live this life while simultaneously not identifying with any of the one parts as defining who I am because I also know that this is just a lifetime that I've chosen to experience consciously 
but this is not all of me because I am everything. One thing that really stands out is when you said reality is a reflection of your internal state. And this is so layered because first off, radical responsibility, like get it, girlfriend, being responsible (laughs) for what your reality looks like because this is the root of creating the life that you want, the life of your dreams. This is a foundation of manifestation. And I think that this is so beautiful because in this state of reflection, in this space of meditating and reflecting on yourself in relation to truth, we get to really figure out the essence of who we are. So for example, one of the questions I like to ask my clients when they're meditating is to ask yourself and internally answer, who am I? And keep asking that over and over again, because in a waking state, we have been so conditioned to identify with, well, I'm a woman. I'm a doctor. My husband does this for work. I just remember having this conversation with a friend once and he had just met this gal. And I was like, oh, tell me about her. And he's sharing all these things. And I was like, great. I didn't really ask for her resume, but like, <laughs> like, tell me about her. That's how people really identify themselves with this label. But in the state of meditation, you really get to the essence of who you are on a soul level, not what your ego or what your pseudo soul. I'm now calling the ego a pseudo soul because it can be really powerful. I love this. Yeah. From Paramahansa Yogananda. The intention of sharing this is that when you start going inside of yourself, Some of the things that you and I have been talking about is connection with the universe, the divine, going beyond consciousness. So visually, I'm seeing the galaxy. But within our own body is the galaxy. So if you compare your iris to a galaxy, it looks exactly the same. And there are stories of Krishna when he was a kid, he used to be very mischievous. He's very holy, but he would go around and eat everyone's ghee <laughs> or their butter, whatever you want to call it. And so his mother or his mother figure at the time was like, You shouldn't be doing this. We know that you're doing it. And he's, ha, 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 No, I'm not. And then she's just, Well, open up. And so she opened up his mouth, and inside she saw the entire universe within him. And Krishna is a representation of us and our holiness. And so to remember that when we are in this state of meditation, we're going into the deeper layers within ourselves, areas that the naked eye cannot see. If people can see what their insides look like, they would treat it differently. We have cells 
organs, atoms, everything that is flowing through us, our blood, our water, and no one has the slightest idea of what is actually happening within our body. This morning, I was reading an article on neuroplasticity and neural pathways, and they were saying that within five seconds of reading new information, there are about 27,000 ions that are being transmitted. 27,000 ions within a five-second reading. So really take that in and recognize that our body is this vast space that we are not spending enough time to get to know and recognize because it's so easy to see what is happening in our external world. And so when you close your eyes and go inward, this is the universe that I'm talking about. When I talk about cosmic wisdom and truth, it is literally inside of you. It is not outside of you. I can literally feel all of my cells vibrating with a yes. We all are the universe and every part of us is its own universe and ecosystem. It's really that micro and macro. And so I would love to hear from you. What are some of the benefits that you have experienced through your practice of meditation? Ooh, girl, I will keep this as short as possible because I know we have so much more we want to share with everyone because I can just go on forever about the benefits of meditation and what it has done for me personally, what I have observed in my clients, and just the life-altering experience from doing something so simple because you can meditate for five minutes a day and you can achieve the benefit. It does not take a lot. It does not exert a lot either. And so what have I benefited from meditation before this current life? And I'm talking about just within the past couple of years because I died a couple of years ago. I was extremely ungrounded. I was in the Hollywood scene. I was all about materialism and the nice car and high-end fashion. I was the type of person that would wait for you to finish talking just to talk. I wasn't really having a conversation with you. I was so excited. I had so much in me. So we'll call this ungrounded energy. And from this excessiveness in my throat chakra, I also had a lot of mind chatter because I just talked, talked, talked completely from a space of unawareness that the talking continued in my mind. And when I started doing yoga, I've shared this in previous episodes, my whole path has always been very organic. I never just hopped in and was, I have to do this. It's because I continued to do things that I knew was for the betterment of my own evolution, for my happiness, for peace. And so meditation 
organically came to me when I was just yearning for silence. My soul just wanted silence. I wanted to get away from big city, the lights, the noise, the people. And I went into this place of complete recluse. I was silent for a really long time. And one of my first experiences of deep meditation and silence was going to a Vipassana retreat. And Vipassana is a 10-day silent retreat and you're meditating for over 10 hours a day. You eat two meals, which they cook and serve and they clean up as well. So literally the only three things you do for 10 days is eat, sleep, and meditate. In this, it is a very strict practice. You also don't move. Even if you're in pain, you're sitting in meditation, you don't move. And for me, I just cried through it. For me, I saw some of the darkest parts of myself and trauma from my past that I didn't even remember. They were fully suppressed. When people experience such deep trauma, when you suppress it, you fully forget it. You don't even remember it's there. And so there are these traumas that were coming up that was so interesting. And so through these 10 days of such a deep practice, when I came back into the real world, I had a completely different lens. The whole world was moving at lightning speed. I couldn't even comprehend. I was like, what is happening? And it was almost like playing in my mind when you watch these movies where they're fast forwarding, you know, where they keep a camera on the sky or on an area and then they do like a fast forward of 10 years, but a lot is, is happening. That's what I was experiencing. I was like, this whole universe is so external and so overstimulated. I just went to a grocery store and I was like, why is everything so loud? Why is the volume on 100 right now? But it's not that it's on 100. It's quote unquote normal to most people. But what has happened is that our body, because our bodies are so intelligent, we have acclimated to the circumstance so that we could survive. But is this acclimation for our highest good? No. And in this state of meditation is where I found clarity. I was constantly confused. I was constantly seeking. Someone once told me, you'll never find what you're looking for. And he was right. And it's because it's not about seeking. It's about going inward and just being with myself. And that is what meditation did for me. It created this silence that I was yearning for. It is this connection with the divine. I'm always meditating with my guides. And when I'm with them, when I use the word communion, it literally means this intimate relationship where I am meditating with them, I'm having conversations with them. They are leading me to take aligned action and everything is intentional. I'm so guided through this. 
So the benefits that I've received is that I'm in a space of peace. People reflect to me that when I speak, I'm very thoughtful. This is something that no one would ever have given me feedback of back in the day. And it has also changed how I view myself, my confidence, my self-love. It has given me clarity of the relationships that I've had in my life that were toxic. And it has also helped me manifest the life that I want. It is also allowing me to be in a state of being. So I don't want to knock astrology because I love astrology. And Ayana, you are the queen of astrology. But I was hiking with someone yesterday and she was just, oh, you know, like astrology. I I guess I kind of want to get into it. Are you into astrology? And I thought I really was because I was, yeah, because the planets, I totally believe in it. We're all connected. We're connected to the moon. We are all one. But what I'm talking about here is that in connection with the meditation versus astrology is that astrology is affirming what already exists. So we're in retrograde right now. Astrology is just affirming why miscommunication is a thing right now. And that those who are not aware of what's happening astrologically, Ayana, you were sharing earlier before we started recording, you're sharing how you're witnessing people in a space of frustration and anger from miscommunication and lack of communication. But then once they're aware, oh, we're in retrograde, then it's almost like they can accept what is and get over it. But who needs an external source to affirm what you already know? And you can access, hey, this is an emotion that I'm feeling. And what can I internally do with this? And is in that space of meditation where you don't need any external outside information to tell you what you already know. You just have to do the work to access it. And it's in that space of meditation where you can. I appreciate that reflection. Mostly because that is exactly how I see being and astrology. Astrology is a tool that guides us back to our intuition. But if you're using your intuition from the get-go, you don't need a tool. And so that is really the core message that resonates through many of our episodes. These practices are here to help us practice going inwards, connecting with ourselves. And just like I said earlier, my reality is a reflection of what is happening inside of me. That reality includes the stars. That reality includes the planets. The planets are literally just reflecting what is already happening. And it is a way for us to read what is happening when we do not have that full connection and understanding it by going within. And meditation as a practice is just another way for us to make that connection from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And so maybe we draw the same conclusions, but through meditation, you realize that you have everything you need inside of you already. I want to highlight the essence of what you're saying. The tool in which you're using, simply don't be attached. Because 
the goal is to get to whatever your intention is of whether it's peace, of love, self-love, compassion, and whatever tools you need to use to get yourself there. Because ultimately, meditation is another form of a tool. So it's the exact same thing, but you can't be attached to it. Exactly. It's not about the tools. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's about you connecting with you in whichever way gets you there. (laughs) Yes. So it's a way to connect with whatever gets you there. And sometimes some of these external tools are really, really helpful, especially when you are in a space where shit hits the fan or you just don't have the mental capacity to think. So for example, I've mentioned, I've been meditating now for over five years. There are times when I need these external tools to just help me. I cannot put that expectation on myself to be perfectly in a state of meditation every single time, every day. It is just not real. I know that we just went through so much and we haven't even gotten into the preparation and the 18 different ways that you can meditate. I love that we just went into the depth of our own experience. And of course, you all know Ayana and I are always in flow. So we had no idea what was going to come through today. And we're so glad that we got to express everything that we did about meditation. And so we would love to invite you to come back where we will go deep into how you can prepare to set yourself up for a successful meditation and 18 different ways for you to meditate. And we're excited to see you in two weeks. See you then. If you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we loved creating it, then please take a moment to write a review on your preferred podcast host or share this episode with a friend who you think would love it too. This helps us spread the message And as a way to show our gratitude, we'll send you not one, but two meditations when you email us a screenshot of your review. Be sure to take the screenshot before submitting, and you can find our email in the description. We also like to invite you to subscribe to stay up to date on the newest episodes, which come out on every second and fourth Thursday. Be sure to tag us in your socials when you share about the podcast, because we really love connecting with all of you. Thank you so much for listening and taking the time with us today. We appreciate you. Namaste.